If you would, please take a copy of God's Word. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4, we're going to look at verses 11 through 16. You might remember just last week we read through verse 12 of this chapter. So why are we backing up? Well, verse 11 is the beginning of the sentence. And I just felt like it made sense to begin at the beginning of the sentence, even though most of our focus will be on verse 13 and beyond. Pray for me, my watch and all of the clocks in the church uh, did not fall back. So there's always a moment of panic where I say, am I horribly late? Did I somehow spend an hour longer preaching than I thought I did? Um, So uh, that uh, that's always an interesting phenomenon on uh, first service. But without further ado, let's give our attention to the reading of God's holy, inerrant and inspired word. Ephesians 4 verse 11, starting there. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Thus ends the reading of God's word. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's ask his blessing as we consider his word this morning. Let's pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, you are good. What you do is good. Would you be good to us now as you speak to us? Would you give us ears that are ready to hear all that you have to say to us, hearts that are ready to respond, and, um, and would you give us all that we need? for life and godliness this morning, as you promised to do every day of our lives. We pray it in Jesus' great name. Amen. Because Jesus died for you, he expects you to grow up and get along, to stand up for something, and to take that stand in love because he died for you, if indeed you've trusted in him for salvation. But yes, he has expectations, hopes, goals, a vision for his church for whom he died. And these hopes are not mere wishful thinking. He has equipped us to accomplish these things. For example, hasn't he given each of us the indwelling spirit to grow up and get along? Standing up for something. Well, we're all willing to fight for something. Talk to us for long enough. You'll figure out what that is. But what should we be willing to stand up for? Doesn't God tell us in his word? And, and taking that stand in love. Hmm. How do I do that? So hard. How do I love someone else after they've offended me? Well, because haven't you been forgiven a greater sin, a greater debt? And how costly was that debt for the one who paid it off for you and me? As Paul says, ironically, to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, verse 28, Church of God, it was bought with his own precious blood, precious blood. Costly blood is an old 
Him says, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Similar to what we sang earlier, Jesus paid it all, all to Him I owe. You see, our challenge this morning, maybe for the rest of our time in Ephesians, is to not minimize the demands of the gospel, nor to ignore the power of the gospel. Not to minimize its demands, not to ignore its power. We can't minimize its demands because we're not going to achieve them on our own, just accidentally. And if we don't, then we won't achieve the unity, the maturity, all these things we've been talking about, the stability, the love that God envisions for the church. We won't be the shining city on a hill without some demanding effort, right? But we also can't minimize the power of the gospel because we will fall short of all these demands. Maybe we fell short this week, this morning. Maybe we were immature and short-tempered. Maybe we were wishy-washy on the important things or too dogmatic about the non-essentials. Maybe we valued truth over love or love over truth. See, we're not going to meet our goal without truth, without demands. And we won't have the hope to keep going without the power of the gospel, without forgiveness. So I want us to remember that. I want us to remember and explore this idea this morning. God's blood-bought gifts of salvation and of service. They empower us to attain unity and maturity. They empower us to clarify our essential doctrines. And they require us to grow in truth and love together. Does that sound hard? Some of it should. We can't do that on our own. Does it also sound hopeful? It should, because we have the Spirit dwelling in us to equip us for this task. That leads us to our first point this morning. God's blood-bought gifts, they empower us to attain unity and maturity. Unity and maturity. You see it in verses 11 through 13. Let's read them again. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We have gifts of service. We talked about them last week. Verse 11's list, it's teaching, empowering, equipping gifts. It's a partial list. Why do we have gifts? Because our God is gracious. Gracious in the form of these gifts of service, as it says in Ephesians 4-7. And if you keep backing up in the book of Ephesians, you see that he also gives us grace in the form of salvation, freedom from sin's penalty and power, in the form of new life in Christ. We could go back to Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not your own doing, the gift of of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. You also see, if you keep going back to the first chapter, that he gives grace in the person of the Holy Spirit, the guarantee of salvation, the indwelling presence that empowers us through all of life's difficulties. Now, why mention all this? Well, first, to clarify what I mean by blood-bought gifts of God. And second, because of our, our forgetfulness our tendency towards ingratitude. You see, if we aren't careful, we can hear Paul's commands as something like this. God wants you to try hard. Christianity is about grit, effort, duty, all these things. And it is. 
But it's not only about that, right? We endeavor to live as becomes the followers of Jesus Christ. That's part of membership vow number three, but it's part of it. We do those things in humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit. And if we forget the tension, the humble reliance, endeavoring to try both of those things, if we forget that, we may think God just wants me to work hard. And that might lead to an idea like this. God wants me to work harder than him. Oh, but woe to me if I begin to think like that. If I become so self-absorbed, that I think my life is bereft of hope and comfort. If I think that my God is not looking out for me every moment of every day, if I think that God is not working hard for me, why does God ask, expect me to do this, to do hard things? Because he's making a whole new society, a whole new humanity, and he worked hard to create it. So we said, Acts 20, 28, which he bought with his own precious blood. He strained. He worked hard to give us life. He sweat drops of blood to give us life. And now he's given us gifts to help us maintain and attain the good life together, the beginnings of the life more abundant and free You see, it's in that context that we have to hear these commands, these imperatives. When you read about God giving us apostles and all these other gifts, remember why he's given them to us. Because we're his blood-bought children, redeemed from slavery to sin, saved from future punishment, and that God loves to give good gifts to his children. And these gifts have a purpose, building up the body of Christ. My gift, as we said It's not meant to puff up my ego to celebrate my giftedness. Look at me. No, sir. I don't have any gifts that Christ didn't give me. So he gets the glory, not me, right? In the way I discern my gifts, what did we say last week? We ask ourselves this. How can I grow in love for, in service to the body of Christ? We look around. We ask, where's a need that I can meet? How can I grow in this way? And the way I help others know their gifts is to ask, Whom can I thank? Who has served me? Who has blessed me today? And when we do that, seek to all of us, use our gifts. Then the body of Christ serves one another. It builds itself up. And this is not some new emphasis for 2023. It should always be our emphasis until we reach perfection, which, oh, by the way, won't happen until heaven. You see this laid out in verses 11 through 13. Just a brief recap. Verse 11, God gave certain gifts. Verse 12, he gave them to equip the saints. That's normal church members, right? Those who are made holy in Christ. Uh, Those ordinary people who've received extraordinary grace. That's who saints are. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. And then verse 13, how long will that happen? Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Calvin says we must make progress until death. (laughs) But even as we say that, there's some tension here, isn't there? Because on the one hand, we've already been given this gift of unity and oneness. We have one Lord, one faith, one baptism. We have unity. Each one of us are indwelled by the 
Same Holy Spirit. And yet Paul tells us to be eager to maintain this unity. As we said, maintain visible expressions of this unity that we already have in Christ. Don't be a walking contradiction. And so is he just repeating himself here in verse 13? No, there's, there's a bit more. Verses 1 through 6 are saying, you have unity, now maintain it. Now display it visibly. Verse 13 is saying, not only to maintain unity visibly, but attain unity fully. Pretty sure I stole that phrase from John Stott. You're going to hear his name a few times this morning. Could you be more fully unified as a body of Christ, the church? Could you do a better job of celebrating the biblical God-given gifts of others? I'm not saying this to beat all of us down. I'm saying, do we still have work to do by God's grace through His Spirit working in us? Could we better celebrate the unity of the faith, the things that we hold in common, celebrating our mutual knowledge of the Son of God, our intimate relationship with and trust in our Savior? Or have we already attained perfect maturity in adulthood as a church? The measure of the stature of the fullness of God. Oh yeah, that's me. Are we focused on continual renewal, continual growth? Because isn't that what a mature believer, a mature church looks like? A mature believer doesn't rest in his maturity, does he? He's aware of his weakness. He's aware of his limitations. He's aware of his ignorance in in certain areas. He's aware of his sin. He hates it, wants to name it, flee it, kill it, and live more and more under righteousness. Isn't that what a mature believer looks like? He doesn't run around telling you how mature he is. And this, of course, should be true for the whole church, not just certain individuals. Because the goal is mutual maturity, not the same time. The main thing you can control in the mutual church-wide maturity equation, the main thing you can control in that is your own spiritual maturity, right? You can be mature. You can serve others. You You can lead a horse to water, as they say, but you can't make him drink. You can model maturity, assist others in maturity, but it's, it's up to them, right? It's why our primary goal now, years from now, shouldn't be shopping for the perfect church, but serving the church we're in. Shopping for perfection. It's a sneaky way to grow more critical of other shortcomings, isn't it? But serving can be a way of saying, how can I help others grow even more mature? How can I focus on myself? How can I grow in love and service for others and help them reach this goal as well? Because again, the goal is mutual unity, mutual maturity. That's kind of hard. That's probably going to require humility and gentleness and patience and forbearance and love. Those five qualities that Paul mentions at the beginning of the chapter. It's probably going to take effort physically, emotionally. Is that too much to ask? What if the one asking is the one who secured our gifts with the cost of his own blood? The one who's empowered us by his gifts and by his example to strive for unity and maturity together. His blood-bought gifts, they empower us to attain unity and maturity. And the second thing we see is this, that God's blood-bought gifts, they empower us to clarify our essential doctrines, our essential doctrines. In verse 14, 
13 and 14. They're closely connected. Verse 13 is focusing on maturity. God saved us, gave us gifts so that we could grow in maturity together. And how does Paul define maturity? Well, he shows you a positive in verse 13, but then quickly he shows you its opposite. It's photonegative in verse 14. It says, so that we may no longer be children. Some translations even say infants. Tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Maturity is the goal. Immaturity is the opposite. This childlike, maybe even infant-like state. You might say, wait a minute, didn't Jesus say to have faith like a child in order to enter the kingdom of God? He does. But Jesus and Paul are not at odds with each other here. Matthew 18, Jesus commends childlike faith for those who would enter the kingdom of God, a kingdom that I read recently is unassuming, unshowy, easily missed, but quietly transformative, like leaven, yeast, working its way through a lump of dough. Jesus commends those who accept the kingdom on God's terms, trusting in God's word in opposition to the wisdom of the world, whereas the childishness that Paul condemns here, it's those who believe everything and settle on nothing. Those who follow every false teacher in simple terms. Childlike faith, trust God instead of men who contradict Him. Childish immaturity, trust God until they hear what men say and then they never make up their mind. They are, as it says here, tossed to and fro like a small ship in the high seas. They're carried about by every wind of doctrine. John Stott says, such are immature Christians. They never seem to know their own mind or come to settled convictions. Instead, their opinions tend to be those of the last preacher they heard or the last book they read, and they fall an easy prey to each new theological fad. He's not talking about appreciating new insights. He's talking about changing your position every time you read something new. And another version of this might be a sort of studied indifference to doctrine or a studied ambiguity about something. You see, it's one thing to say, I've never heard of that. Let me read more about that before I tell you what I think. It's one thing to say that. It's another thing to say, I don't want to commit to a position on this. Now, there are a few matters, plenty of them, where there are an acceptable range of opinions. The Bible may not be as clear as we'd like on certain things. We acknowledge that. But often, if we think through basic biblical teaching, the historic confessions and creeds of the church, the summary of God's moral law contained in the Ten Commandments, if we think about those fairly clear teachings, we can probably find something, if not everything, something to say about most contemporary subjects. My main point here is not to introduce a thousand current events in my view, and which views are unacceptable. Another time, maybe, but my main point is that mature Christianity will come to a place of conviction about essential teachings. We'll develop wisdom to see through the the cunning of men, their craftiness, their deceitful schemes and methods, which are usually self-serving for the false teacher himself. And we won't be surprised by this. We won't despair when false teachers arise. In the words of Calvin, we'll see them as opportunities, as God's will 
for our testing, for the strengthening of our faith, we will not see something like conviction as an inherently hateful thing. That's not popular opinion in our world today. Our world thinks it's a very tolerant place, you know, so long as you don't threaten one of their beliefs that they hold dear, so long as you don't disapprove of their freedom to live with no limits, which can easily become a demand that everyone approve of them. Bottom line is Christians should stand up for something. Now, which some things, it's a longer discussion, which ones you stand up for publicly is less my focus today. Again, mainly, I want you to realize that growing up as a Christian means you should grow more sure of what you believe, of what the Bible says. I commend to you a short pamphlet. It's titled, Why Christians Need Confessions by Carl Truman. I believe it's a shorter version of his book, The Creedal Imperative. And uh, as I say all this, before you think, Every church member needs to write an ethics textbook before you join this church. Let me clarify what you need to believe to belong to this church. You don't have to believe the whole of the Westminster Standard. Some of you don't. That's fine. I'm grateful that you're willing to submit to this church's leadership. Anyway, I would encourage you to read and wrestle them even more. I've got to throw that in. <clears throat> but you have to believe that you're a sinner who deserves God's punishment and can't save yourself. Secondly, that receiving and resting upon Jesus is the only way of salvation. You have to promise that you'll live like a Christian in humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit. Four, that you'll support the church's work of evangelism and its Trinitarian worship. And lastly, that you'll submit to the church's leaders, the church's discipline. That's formal and informal. Informal meaning it's discipleship. You'll strive for the church's purity and peace. And you know, if you do that last one, striving for purity and peace, Lord willing, that formal discipline we mentioned will never be necessary for you. If you believe that, if you promise that, those five things, you can be part of this church. This might sound small. I think they're very countercultural, and I would hope that a mature Christian wants to proclaim those things publicly, wants to be held accountable to those things, either to this church or by another church. Because the alternative is a man or a woman who's blown this way and that by, by every false teacher, by every new trend on TikTok, a slave to the fad of the moment, Slave to passions and pleasures, as Ephesians 2 says, the kind of slavery that Jesus died to save us from so that he might give us something solid, something enduring, something true. Because truth, as well as love, is the essential way that the body grows together. And that leads to our last point this morning. Thirdly, <clears throat> God's blood-bought gifts, they require us to go grow together by truth and love. They require us to grow together by truth and love. See this in the final two verses. We've received his blood-bought gifts. So our goal is using them for unity and maturity. The goal is not immaturity, flightiness and doctrine, changing our minds constantly. Maturity should lead us to deeper convictions. But deeper convictions do not imply a pugnacious manner ready to fight the drop of a hat. How do I know that? 
because of what verses 15 and 16 say. We want maturity, not immaturity or wishy-washiness, but look at verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Truthing in love, literally, or speaking the truth in love. What's this look like? Is this when we get to insert, you know, the, the stuff we talked about last week, diversity of gifts. God's given us different gifts. And so, you know, I'm a truth person, Matt. People just have to deal with it. Tell it like it is. I'll let somebody else hold their hand and be loving, touchy-feely and all that. On the other hand, I'm a love person, man. Truth isn't my thing. Truth, truth can tear down. Truth doesn't matter if we don't minister to people's hearts. A lot of things I could say about that. At the very least, while there's an element of truth to both statements, they're both severely lacking, aren't they? First, Mr. Truth Person, who who seems to love the truth, doesn't want to bother with love. He hasn't accurately wrestled with the truth of Scripture and what it says about loving people, right? The commands to love, to be gentle, the, the, the things that, of, of Scripture that he supposedly loves. And Mr. Love Person is not going to get off easy either. The one who demeans truth is stating, is stating what? Truths that are assumed, not explained, not defended from Scripture. Maybe they both need a dose of truthing in love to be built up as part of the body so that all the parts work properly, so that the whole body can grow together and build itself up in love. So let me share some truth. It's possibly a hard truth, but Lord willing, I'll say it in love. You don't get to pick whether you're a truth person or a love person. You have to choose both. The Bible commands us to choose both together, speaking the truth in love. That's how we grow together. And if you think you're one and only one, I'm all truth, I'm all love, I'm not both. My friend, you need some tough love, some hard truth, some truth spoken in love. You see, I I have to do this a lot, (laughs) and I don't always get it right, especially when I do it on Sunday, speaking to many different people with many different experiences at one time. And so for all the days when I'm too harsh, I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm trying. I'm still growing too. Please pray for me that God would make me a gentle man for all the days when I pull my punches. I'm sorry for that too. Pray that God would make me bold, that that I would crucify my lust for man's approval, that I would want to live and breathe for an audience of one, that I would embrace the series of awkward conversations that is my job, some of which happen on Sunday in front of a lot of people, many of which do not yield instant results. But enough about me. We need some truth and love if we're to grow as a people together. I'm going to defer to John Stott. Pardon the lengthy quote. He says, thank God there are those in the contemporary church who are determined at all costs to defend and uphold God's revealed truth. But sometimes 
They are conspicuously lacking in love. When they think that they smell heresy, their nose begins to twitch. Their muscles ripple and the light of battle enters their eyes. Look around. Do you see any noses twitching right now? Anyone? Anyone want to raise their hands? He goes on. They seem to enjoy nothing more than a fight. Others make the opposite mistake. They are determined at all costs to maintain and exhibit brotherly love, but in order to do so, are prepared to sacrifice even the central truths of revelation. Both these tendencies are unbalanced and unbiblical, he says. Truth becomes hard if it is not softened by love. Love becomes soft if it is not strengthened by truth. The apostle calls us to hold the two together which should not be difficult for spirit-filled believers since the Holy Spirit is Himself the Spirit of truth and His first fruit is love. There is no other route than this to a fully mature Christian unity. It can't be one or the other. We have to be both. Which means some of us need to grow in truth, some of us need to grow in love, and maybe some of us need to grow in both. But we have the spirit of truth, whose first fruit is love. It's the spirit we have inside of us. The spirit that Christ poured out upon the church. That's the gift that Christ has given to us, who've trusted in Him as the Savior, who shed His blood to redeem us out of slavery to sin. And we are no longer slaves. Hated by others and hating one another, as Titus says, because the grace, the goodness, the loving kindness of God our Savior has appeared teaching us to say no to worldly passions, teaching us to say yes to godliness, to a growing maturity and unity, to stability, to a family that loves one another enough to speak the truth and to speak it in love. A family that wants to grow up together with soft yet solid truth and hard but humble love. Soft truth, strong love. It's who God calls us to be. A church that embraces the whole Christ, the Holy One who also condescends in mercy to the unholy. So let's take hold of Him, all of Him, the whole Christ, so that we can grow in His grace together. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, continue to speak to us the truth in love so that we might do the same to one another. Father, we long to see your churches full. We long to see your church flourishing and fruitful the way it's supposed to be. Father, we know we aren't a perfect church. We know we aren't. We don't think we're a horrible church. We think we're a good church. We love our church. And we know we can grow. Would you help us to do that? Would you give us the truth that we need to grow? Would you give us the love that we need so that we can stay unified, so that we can love one another's company, so that we can grow not just in purity, but also in peace. Help us strive for the peace and purity of the church together. Help us speak the truth in love to one another. Do this. We can't do it on our own. So do this, we pray, through the work of your spirit working in and through us. We ask it all in Jesus' great name. Amen.